Hi everyone, this is Joanna and welcome to another episode of Tuning In by Oasis. When it comes to questions regarding reproductive and mental health, parents often have a hard time answering their young children because, you know, how should they explain it in a way that's age-appropriate? Or for me, growing up in an Asian family, these topics were deemed as taboo to even bring up in family conversations. So in this episode, I got to speak with Kenzie and Lily, the co-founders of Maro Parents, which is a mobile application to guide parents in tough conversations with their children. Hello. Hello. Good, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. I was actually looking at your website again, and I realized that it has changed a bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we just did a refresh today. I loved it actually, the part where they have both of you and then just a scribble of the both of your names. Yeah, that's oh, like cool. so cool. Yeah. I think Lily, she's the designer. Oh, that's really cool. Thank you, Lily and Kenzie, for joining us today. When I looked through Maro's website, it was really cool because I haven't seen any apps that really go from the parents' perspective to guide their kids. So can you tell us more about what Maro is about and what it aims to do? Yeah, so a little bit about Maro. Currently, it is a mobile app for parents that helps them navigate what we call tough growing up conversations with their kindergarten through eighth grade kids. So that's everything from mental and reproductive health to empathy and diversity. And the way that we support parents is we have this library of digital content that we create in partnership with experts in each subject matter vertical. And we work with artists and we combine that expert material so that parents just have the information that you need to know when you're talking to your kids about these subjects, rather than being bombarded with an overwhelming amount of information that may not be necessary unless you just want to do further research. So that's Mara. We have a bot on the platform that is, we're currently training it. So right now it acts more like a journal. So it will prompt you to journal key developmental and behavioral events in your child's life that help us recommend content. And so we're working on making that bot smarter so that eventually not only will it be able to help you navigate when and how to have these conversations with your kids, but also should be able to answer any questions you have around adolescent development which we're really excited about. I'm really curious in the aspect of how this idea came about, how both of you came together to create this platform, because mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure when you both created, you guys are not parents yet, right? So, no. so I think it's but, really interesting. Why didn't create something to help parents, to guide kids as well? And did you want to start with your story and then I'll kind of deep dive into Jump in when we met. Yeah. (laughs) It's super funny. We'll talk about how we met. But initially, I started sort of ideating around what Maro could be. It looked vastly, vastly different. But this was six years ago and during college. So I was personally really passionate about power-based violence, sexual violence, and domestic violence. I'm a survivor of sexual assault. And so I started working with nonprofit organizations that focus on supporting that demographic of survivors. I became certified in trauma-informed care and worked for a nonprofit called the Partnership Rape Crisis and Domestic Violence Shelter in Tennessee, which is where I'm from. 
and ended up going to work for any nonprofit that would take me pretty much doing research and advocacy, education, policy, kind of the full scope of things. And I loved that work and met some really incredible people through it, but felt like there was an opportunity to maybe prevent some of the things that we were seeing. So maybe we could prevent rape and sexual assault, or maybe we could prevent some of the negative things that we were seeing just that had to do with healthy relationships and consent was the impetus. So ended up spending about three years writing a thesis on the implementation of sex education, specifically in the U.S. and at the K-12 through level. During that time, I transitioned my career focus to go work with startups. Loved it. I spent three years in that space doing everything from startup support to identifying deal flow for VC investors and sort of just really got my toes wet and started to understand the space. And at that time, I met the lovely Lily Mintendahl, who's so passionate, and I'll let her tell you. I think we can say it now at this point, Lily. We met virtually and started the company virtually. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, we oh, were this... working virtual for six months until we finally met each other in person. We... It was so serendipitous. I don't know if I've ever hugged a human so hard on the first time meeting them. You <laughs> <laughs> both met online before deciding to set this thing up together? It was through a mutual friend. My husband was friends with her best friend and connected us. And we just- a really small world. (laughs) It really was. Yeah, so once Kenzie and I met, I was just working for her actually contractually. And she's like, I want to build this teacher application and we're going to talk about sex education and it's going to be awesome. And I was like, well, we're opening the conversation for sex education. Let's open it for mental health. So a little bit about my background. I was diagnosed with ADHD categorized as emotional over response when I was five. And I was in and out of therapists and I was on and off of pills. And it was something, my dad is Filipino. So it's something that we weren't supposed to talk about with anybody else because it was embarrassing to the family. And I went to a majority of Caucasian school. So I was already kind of singled out in that I was Filipino, but on top of the mental health aspect. But basically, I was just very isolated. And that ADHD categorized as emotional over response was then turned into depression. So my parents weren't educated themselves. And my dad being Filipino, of course, was not educated because that's just not something they even talked about in his household. That's kind of why I wanted to start the mental health side of things is so that the parents and the children can be educated. So yeah, that's kind of how we started. I have a background in product design as well. And I went to art school and I studied advertising. But yeah, when Kenzie and I met, we kicked it off. We started working on the teacher app and then we kind of pivoted towards the parents. It was cool. Yeah, I think it's really an amazing journey, you know, how you both met and what you have been through as well that helped to build up the foundation of how this app is, which I think sexual education and mental health, I, I do agree that it's not something that's being discussed. I do have nieces of my own, niece and nephews, both where they are at the age of like, you know, four and even younger. So even with my cousins, they said like, oh, maybe it's not the right time to talk to the kids about this. So I think there's always this thing on when is the right time to bring up these topics, right? So one thing that we learned, we were doing customer research for Mara was that it's never too early to start these conversations. You just have to do it in a way that's age appropriate. 
And that's kind of where I think a lot of our value lies is helping parents define and understand what is age appropriate. So one example in reproductive health is, well, you can talk about, or just in healthy relationships, you can teach young kids consent by talking to them about, hey, why don't you ask your friend before you hug them or ask your friend before you hold their hand? And that's a really simple, very child-friendly way to teach that subject. Same with mental health. I mean, Lil, do you want to speak maybe to worry box or some of our anxiety content? Yeah, sure. I mean, even Kenzie mentioned worry box. It's a story of a dragon named Zuri with a little bit of anxiety. And we basically in the story tell Zuri, hey, why don't you make a box and put all of your worries in a box and crumple that up. And then when you're ready to look through them again, you can read them out loud and and you have the power of the worry in your hands now. Now it's no longer in your system. So that's an easy way to talk to your kid about, hey, look, your anxiety is a feeling, but you can write it down, get it out of your system. And then you have the power of your anxiety. So yes, it is emotion and it is a feeling and it is valid, but Here's how you deal with it in a way that a five-year-old could understand it. I see. So would you say that when you are reviewing the language that you use on the app as how parents can guide their kids, it's also so much more of understanding how kids can understand the content as well. Is there like a specific thing where if kids ask a certain question, then you have a certain guidelines of answers of how parents can tell their kids about this other than telling stories and things like that? Definitely. So we have these parent-facing learning modules. So the idea is that parents are growing alongside their child. And while there's not a specific structure necessarily to these modules that we follow, because we respect the fact that each of these topics sort of has a different natural flow to the way that a parent would engage with the material. The clearest example, I think, to answer your question is There is a module covering anxiety on our platform so that parents can learn how to express this to their kids. And the way that it works is we have a few units in that module that explain to the parent themselves in very bite-sized, digestible, friendly terms, this is the science behind anxiety. Like, here's what's actually going on in your body and why you may feel a physical response. And then here's how you explain that to your child in a way that makes sense depending on their age bracket, whether they're elementary or middle school. And then after that, how do you incorporate mindfulness into your family so that they can be prepared to manage their anxiety for when they do start to feel anxious. Because if you can put those practices into place, you can mitigate a lot of over response to anxiety or getting too anxious and not knowing how to deal with it. If you can incorporate mindfulness into your family's just, you know, daily and weekly behaviors. And so that's kind of what we do. We also realize parents have no time. So everything that we do is very thoughtful around how much time it requires to actually interact with the platform when parents will be using it. I mean, Lily can speak to this, but we're even looking at incorporating voice technology so that parents can just ask questions on the go, just like they would with Siri or Alexa or some other voice technology. I see. Actually, that's really good. I would be very inclined to having something that is on a go. I think one thing that you mentioned was that this app is not about just guiding the kids. It's also for the parents to learn as well, right? Because I think a lot of us, even growing up as adults, we don't know a lot of things. Like we know about anxiety, but we don't know the science behind it. So in order to explain more to your kids, it's also about learning about what it is 
so that we can understand our kids better if this happens. Going on in that train of thought, it's also that I think a lot of issues that kids face these days is very different from what we face and what our parents face as well, which means mm. that parenting styles change over time. So is there any common patterns that you have seen from your customers that has been differing or like they have to unlearn from the previous generation? Yeah, I actually researched this a little bit and I just had a conversation about this probably two days ago. I think that in the previous generation, I'm going to go a little bit philosophical here, but basically you have Maslow's hierarchy of law, which is in order to be a complete human being, you need food, you need shelter, you need water, and then you can focus on the mental aspect and then you can focus on enlightenment, which is a little bit out of our <laughs> out of our scope of work. But I think that the previous generation, because we have such infrastructure around us, basically in society now, like us as children, we grew up with iPhones and computers, but the older generation didn't, like they were still concerned about that base level of need, right? So all of their concerns were truly life-threatening and physical and will we be able to eat today? And abuse within the household was more common. So my dad's going to hit me if I do X, Y, and Z. And I think that with our generation, because those needs are met, we're more open-minded to mental trauma. So like emotional abuse, not even emotional abuse, but just feeling more and I think what the older generation has a hard time understanding is that trauma can be physical, but it can also be mental. So when a child says, hey, I'm depressed, I hear a lot of parents say, oh, there's kind of being a baby. Or when my child's anxious, oh, I don't know, like they're saying they have a stomachache, but I don't think they actually have a stomachache. I think that the biggest thing is parents from other generations understanding that because our needs are met, that doesn't mean that we're ungrateful, but our brain is able to focus and develop trauma around mental and emotional things now. Yeah, I do agree with that, especially in our past generations, like my dad as well. They just feel that, you know, this is something that they should carry on their own. And if you feel like you're weak, that's because that you're not putting enough effort or like there's something that you're not working hard enough on. So I do agree with that. And so I think what parents deal with these days is very different. But it's also that in different areas, even in the US itself, I think parenting styles do differ a lot. So how do you navigate these cultural nuances? That's such a good question. And I don't know, Lil, do you want to start or do you want me to? I don't know if I have an answer for that. You can go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a lot of learning for us. There's not necessarily a way that we're doing that directly now. So one thing that we say to parents always is we give you the information that you need to teach with your values. So all we do is medically accurate evidence-based content delivered mm -hmm. in a way that is meant to be engaging for you and your children, but you can choose what among that content you want to actually use to talk to your children about. We have some core product features coming up that we're exploring and testing that include separate profiles for children to be able to log on and access the child-facing material themselves, but allowing parents to decide what content actually appears in that profile and what doesn't so that we're respectful and really meeting parents where they're at because we want to be approachable now that answers part of your question. The other 
is we are looking at expanding and exploring everything from different languages to how do we actually fit this content into different uh, cultures in a way that makes sense and is appropriate. And it requires a lot of capital and scalability so that we can employ boots on the ground people in those cultures. And we're talking a lot about translating the content and how do we make sure that we don't just do the Google Translate mistake, you know, of just directly interpreting language but how do we actually put that into context? And so these are a lot of questions that we're asking ourselves and being just really thoughtful around right now because we don't have all the answers. I do know that with some of the context that we're getting from our chatbot, it does help us understand a little bit more about parents' value systems and the things that they pick up in their child's behavior and the things that they notice are important, but we have a long way to go because, you know, we've only been really in the market for two months at this point. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, sorry. No, we should answer your question. I was just, you know, thinking about what you have said when I was looking at your website and I tried downloading the app as well but the thing is i don't have an iphone <laughs> so oh. it was a bit yeah difficult and but it really is tell us what's coming <laughs> <laughs> sorry we do have a web app coming so people with androids will be able to, use, will be oh, able to I'll, yeah i'll be waiting for it <laughs> yeah, i actually wanted to use it with my nephews and niece but i didn't really have the phone for that but i was looking at some of the design interface and stuff and i think it's really amazing that you guys were on the market just for two months it seemed like you know there was a lot of work behind it for a very very long time so what was the biggest challenge or struggle you had with building up this app because I've seen a recount of you guys going through failures nine times or seven times to get this app up on iOS before it finally <laughs> succeeded. <laughs> yeah, I think I might know what Kenzie's answer might be, but uh, do, you, do you want to each share one, Kenzie? I'll share my hardest and you, you can share yours. Okay, I think that when Kenzie and I were releasing the beta, we barely had any money and we had to make content ourselves. <laughs> um, so I researched and well informed content. content. Yes, <laughs> yeah. So it, we were just producing content really slowly. And I remember there were nights where Kenzie was like going crazy on the whiteboards and I was watching YouTube videos and I would come out and I'd be like, I have an idea. And it would be the most boring, basic sentence ever. And we'd be like, oh no, we got to go back to the board. But even like drawing out all of the content and making sure there is illustrations and working on animations and filming with an iPhone because we didn't have the camera equipment then was probably the hardest part of building out the app for me was just like constantly being on and constantly producing content and wishing that we had enough money so that we could get more artists but doing it all in in house but it was fun it was really fun the roller coaster <laughs> yeah Whew, that brings up a lot of memories. I think for me, it's in addition to that, there's always a new priority every single day, every single hour. Sometimes it feels like, and I've talked to a lot of other entrepreneurs about this because I don't think that that's part of the startup journey that really gets talked about enough. Because, for example, we are in diligence with several funds right now. We're currently fundraising. And yesterday afternoon, I had probably about 18 hours of work ahead of me. This is at 11 a.m. And I get an email 
and they said, Hey, we need you to do this interview and we have to put it on your calendar for tomorrow. But it was right in the middle of two to three different calls. And so I had to reschedule those calls and then prioritize preparing an entirely separate pitch deck specific to this fund. And then I don't know, I didn't finish the other work. So it's, I feel like even though that's after lunch, it's still going on, you know, it's really crazy in these early days and it's such a beautiful adrenaline rush. But at the same time, I think that is a real challenge is there is always reprioritization. And so if you don't have someone like Lily or a new team member, Ed Wiley, or our developers who are frankly all very willing to work with us and adapt as things change and we need to make edits to the platform on a last minute whim, then I don't know how anyone else would do it. We've been very lucky to have a team that is just willing to adapt because it's been a wild ride and we've made pivots and we've created content with no money. (laughs) I think we're starting to get the point now where things actually are starting to stabilize, believe it or not, despite what I just said. It's just been a crazy week. Yeah, I think it's really amazing how you both managed to work together as well and, you know, build up a team like that. But going with your train of thought as well, because I think you just brought up something that, you know, working with a startup journey is very, very, it differs for everybody, but there's always new priorities coming up. And I think one thing is that how you and Lily, both of you, how do you kind of come to a consensus if there's a disagreement? And also, when do you know when is a time to stop something if you think that it's not working? (laughs) We just get the boxing gloves out. We just fight each other. No, I'm just kidding. I think that I've not met another female that's just like willing to take feedback and spit it right back out. So uh, in terms of like, we will, we'll debate, we'll like heavily debate. And there was a time too where Kenzie's husband was like, what just happened? Like, did you and Lily get into a fight? And Kenzie's like, no, we were just talking. So having really intense, serious talks and hearing each other out, I think Kenzie and I always are the type of people to come to a middle ground. So I don't think we would ever get to a disagreement and be like, we're not doing this with each other anymore. But I would say sometimes you have to argue it out. (laughs) Yeah, it does happen fairly often. I think it's so funny. It probably happens on a daily basis. We have a serious disagreement. And that is honestly, I credit this to any success we've had with the platform, with content, because anytime we disagree and we will have polar opposite beliefs around things sometimes (laughs) and we will work so hard to find the middle ground and hear each other out. And it always turns out 10 times better than either of our ideas individually. And we know that we know that we just have to get through that process and communicate. So I don't know. I've never had a problem where I felt like we just couldn't work through it or it was impossible. It's always been a very healthy, it's never fighting. It's never arguing. It's always a very healthy debate because we care so much about what we're doing. Yeah. That's how I I think. Yeah. I was going to say, I think Kenzie and I, we found this out early. Sometimes we are friends <laughs> outside of work and sometimes you have to have a separate conversation. So if you're going to have a friend conversation, you have to state this is a friend conversation. You have to have, it's a business conversation. You have to be like, all right, let's put everything aside. We're business partners. Let's talk about business. So I think that too, setting aside the emotions has helped us a lot. 
Right. So it's kind of like, you know, putting on hats as well, like different hats at different timings. And there was one thing that I thought of was that I was in some learning event last two weeks. And this guy said that, you know, even when you're having disagreements, it has to be that your respect for each other is 10 times higher. So even mm. when you disagree, you still respect that person and you are able to come to a consensus, even though you don't really necessarily you know agree with what the other person is saying but you're willing to give it a shot so that's i think so that's true. what i see from you guys as well yeah so when i assume that that will be the most memorable part of your journey as well just working with each other and going through the nights before you know getting the app up onto the market yeah i for have sure. specific go ahead if you have specific ones i have a broad one so you go with your specific <laughs> ones Okay, two really, really nostalgic memories. The first is when Lily and I first met. I was so excited to meet her in person. And I just have this series of photos. So we participated in an EdTech Accelerator in New York. It's more of a boot camp, like a micro accelerator. So we were there for a week doing pitches, meeting with mentors, and basically just trying to, it was for idea and pre-seed companies. So it was really just working through the muck of things so that you can actually get off the ground. And this was about a year and a half ago, actually a little bit less. This is about a year ago. And it was just so much fun. It was just weird and quirky. And we immediately got along in person. I mean, we knew we got along, obviously, because we'd been working together remotely for so long. But it was really nice to just feel like we clicked. And people kept asking us, oh, well, how long have you guys been friends for? How long have you guys been business partners for? And we didn't know how to respond because we had never met. And so that was really comforting for people to see that, hey, we're a team. We're not two individuals coming together. We're a team. So that's one. And the second is I have never felt, I think, just so much random support from a human. The night, the weekend of our launch, probably two or three nights before the wedding, I called Lily crying and I was like, I just don't feel like a bride. I can't get any sleep because I have to do X, Y, and Z for the bot. And Lily was exhausted because she was doing X, Y, and Z for the app and uploading content. And we just had had no sleep for probably three weeks going back and forth with the app store, trying to get the app up. And I just was sad because I was so excited to have the platform up and then get to enjoy the wedding. And Lily sent me a face mask and she dropped off at my house and some flowers. And she would just said something like, Hey, you're a killer entrepreneur and a bride. It was just something really encouraging and sweet. And I was like, man, this is my co-founder. If not tomorrow, if that doesn't succeed, then whatever we do next, it's going to be with Lily. <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> I remember New York, it was a lot of fun and it was quirky, but Kenzie and I, mind you, we had never met before. We booked an Airbnb. Didn't blame an hour and you don't half. have to say <laughs> Well, Kenzie booked, no, no, Kenzie booked Airbnb, but I was like, yeah, sure, I'm down. We booked an Airbnb that was an hour and a half-ish outside of New York City. And then we had no money. It was the only affordable. We had no money. We We both shared a room and then shared a kitchen with another couple, a married couple. And on top of that, I had gone to New York prior to like have fun and have a weekend trip before. And I ended up getting super, super sick 
to the point where like Kenzie was in meetings preparing for pitches and I was asleep shivering on the bench. So like, was so was awesome, but it was quirky. It was definitely quirky. Yeah, we literally went to convenience store trips to get wellness shots. Like those did anything, but we hoped they did something. We I was on so much in your cayenne pepper that week. <laughs> We were trying, but then I think probably one of my most memorable nights was her then fiance was out for a trip and Kenzie and I had her house for two weeks and I had slept over every night and that's when we launched beta and I remember we were exhausted because it was like day after like a week and a half we hadn't slept and we were about to launch and we were like all right it's five in the morning we got this just like three more content covers all we have to do is that and then we finally launched we crashed for like 30 minutes woke back up and we were like marketing go 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 so I think (laughs) that was probably one of the (laughs) memorable nights but it was fun I don't I don't ever remember it being like crap I I didn't get to sleep I remember it being really fun always taking skateboard breaks and then Lily would cook (laughs) and I would clean and then we would get back to it (laughs) oh that's such a I feel so inspired by the support you guys have for each other. I think it's also in a sense of how co-founders you know, should be like. Having a journey together and working together and enjoying the process together in creating something that you both believe in. Yeah. We're really lucky. Having worked with startups before, I saw a lot of solo entrepreneurs and sadly a lot of teams that had issues just between co-founders and, and couldn't come to consensus. And so I know how rare it is to have another human go through this immensely stressful thing with you and be able to come out on the other side. It's just so valuable. It makes me super grateful every day. <laughs> it's super. I always say that I've always loved my job, but having someone to work with and specifically working with Kenzie makes it like 10 times better. That's so sweet. <laughs> That's so sweet. I feel like crying. <laughs> I know. Me too, a little bit. I'm crying. <laughs> but I guess going back to the app as well, um, you guys have mm-hmm. put up, you know, some forms of like uh, impact areas that you're monitoring as well. So how do you measure the success of your app over time, you know? Because I'm pretty sure that, you know, kids, we grow up and it's going to be a long time before we see, you know, the impact. So uh, is there a sample size that you're using and how this is being measured? Yeah, Kenzie, is there a simple science? <laughs> is there a simple science? <laughs> Sorry, it's a very big jump. No, it's like very a, emotional. <laughs> great, beautiful, loaded question. So two things. One is we just brought on a new team member that I alluded to earlier, Ed Wiley, who was formerly VP of AI and machine learning at Nurex, which we're a big fan of that company. They do birth control delivered and STI testing delivered to your door. So it really just sort of sparked this revolution in terms of access to care. And we're really excited to have him on our team because, wow, that felt like a paid ad from Nurex. I just had to take a step back. I don't even know anyone who works there. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) so Ed has joined our team and he is coming on as our chief data advisor. So he's really helping. He's taking initiative on this report that we're building out called an impact report that is going to allow us to put these bold projections around this. So we know the focus areas, which is that document that you referenced, which has 10 core um, impact areas, including things like decreasing 
rape and sexual assault, decrease in bullying, decreasing rates of suicide, all of these public health crises that are actually avoidable. And there's lots of research to suggest that preventative education can in fact prevent these things from happening. And so we have a lot of research to, we're basically building out a set of statistical models So we're looking at available data and we're saying, okay, here is the power of preventative education to date. Here's how it's historically been measured. And then when we do this at scale and we're no longer doing it in these small pockets, here's what that impact could actually look like. And so we don't have that report wrapped up yet or else we'd have some awesome specific numbers for you, but that's how we're getting started. Yeah, I think it's always like you start small somewhere and it starts to build up into something that you see over the years and I was like, wow, like it's amazing how much you have built up. Yeah, you're so right though. It requires a lot of data, specifically longitudinal data. So we won't know the true benefits until our current demographic of kids ages up and we get more census data and things like that. But we can still test it and test the effectiveness of the content in smaller ways. I mean, even groups like the Center for Disease Control have done some really effective tests on the effects of mental health and sex education in smaller group settings. So we know it's possible. We're just trying to figure out how to do it at scale. (laughs) That's cool. So um, I think one of my last few questions it's also, you know, going back to the emotional part. Yeah, there's a lot of up and downs. Yeah, but, you know. <laughs> I love it. So um, what does Maro mean to you personally? Well, I think this is very broad, but I think it means less isolation. And I think that isolation is the food for any mental health to grow and flourish and become really bad. And... I just think that Maro could, at the very least, decrease the amount of isolation because there'll be more understanding, which could just mean convincing someone that suicide isn't the option. They're going to have to live with depression for the rest of their life, but suicide doesn't have to be the end goal. And I think that less isolation can do that. Having people who understand mental health more or sex education, or rape, or assault, and understand how to help a friend through that, how to help a family member through that, just growing a support system around that person with knowledge. I think that's what tomorrow means to me. Can we? How do I follow that? I think (laughs) for me, when I, what gets me out of bed every morning is two things. One, it's We've started engaging our nonprofit partners who do the day-to-day boots on the ground work, supporting people who have a range of experiences with the topics that we cover and hearing how it's possible that we can support them by bringing more attention to their organization, by distributing further education, by hopefully providing some financial support at some point. Like these are all things that really get me excited, but I think the biggest thing is I start thinking about individual faces of our uh, children that we are not our children um, of the kids and teens who use our platform either currently or who we know that we've talked to that say hey 
I wish I would have had this when I was that age. So I'm thinking specifically of, you know, family members. I'm thinking of friends and their siblings and just a large peer network of people who I saw different struggles with individually from, I mean, a range of things from racism to struggling with mental health to sexual violence. And it makes me want to cry every time I think about those individual experiences and thinking about the power behind what we're building gets me really excited because I just feel like there's something here that I hadn't seen before. And that's why we're building it. It's we just wish that we would have had it because it could have mitigated a lot of things. We would have known where to find resources. We would have had language, which is so important to put around our experiences. And I think that's what Mara means to me. It's just a, a really you know, there's a lot of fun days, but then remembering why we're doing it is so important. Yeah, I, sorry, just need that one second to recall my, <laughs> we spit out a lot. That yeah, that's really, yeah, I, I do agree with that a lot, especially with having what we didn't have. And I don't think you are wrong, you know, trying to address them as our children, you know, it's global. Every children is really a part of, you know, we're all connected in some ways, I feel. And mm-hmm. I think in that sense, it's also like, there's this Chinese thing that, you know, we're all parents for the first time and we're all kids for the first time as well. When we're born, we have no knowledge of how we're supposed to act in a certain way. And what we are taught is the way that is being imparted from the previous generation. So I think mm. that's why I felt so deeply inspired by this app in the sense that there's always something that you can lean on when we are talking to our children. There's always something that I can ask somebody for help. So I think that's very amazing in that way. So I think that's all of my questions. If there's anything that you would like to say to our audience as well. Quarantine's hard, so take care of your mental health. It's, it's super freaking important and be empathetic towards each other right now because that's even more important. Yeah, I totally agree. That was, I love that little, I, all I was going to say was we value, it always sounds cheesy. I think when people are like, I value you, but I don't know you, but I'm just going to say we value you because we want to learn how can we build something that is actually influential to you as an individual? And so it's always really helpful for us to receive feedback on a single platform. There's a seven day free trial, so there's no pressure to purchase, but if people can download and give it a try and let us know honestly what you think and what you want to see, that's really, really helpful for us. And we take all of that into consideration. Yeah. So thank you so much. I'll be waiting for that Android app to be out. <laughs> and yeah, I'll be using it and giving you guys some of the feedback as well. Thank you so much. Yeah, so thank you for your time. And yeah, just something on the sidetrack. I really like the color scheme that you guys use, like the bright yellow. Oh, it's it's really bright and like really happy when I look at it. Yeah, so isn't it so random? But (laughs) (laughs) that's really random. But yeah, I I really like the color scheme. It took us a long time. Yeah. This sounds very funny, but it took us yeah, a while to find that yellow. Really? <laughs> so we're glad that it makes you happy. That's the point. Yeah. It should make you happy. Yeah, awesome. it's like, you know, inspiration and hope. So, yeah. yeah. Have a nice night. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye-bye. <laughs>